Let's pray. Lord, thanks for your goodness. And uh, Lord, we just want to hear from you this, this evening. And we want to sit at your feet and um, just have your way with us, Lord. Please guide us and lead us. In Jesus' name, amen. So turn to Romans chapter 12. So one of the benefits or blessings, uh, if you will, of kind of overviewing, uh, you know, Wednesday nights a little more briskly, if you will, is I think we often get a flavor, maybe in a different way, um, of how the letter was originally written and intended and all that. I was listening to a guy uh, thinking about First Timothy uh, for Sunday. I was listening to a guy um, today about uh, teaching that. And he says, you know, and he's teaching chapter 4, and he says, you know, Timothy wouldn't have read like chapter 3 and then put it down and then come back for a week, right? Well, the chapter divisions weren't even there, but it's not like he would have read a chunk and set it down and come back in a week. He would have read the first six chapters, right, in one sitting. And, and this letter to the Romans probably would have been read in one sitting. And, um, and so hopefully as we kind of are thinking through this, we kind of get the flow. So I thought it'd be fun just to, you know, a 10-second overview of where we're at so far. Uh, chapters 1 and 2, uh, just to review what Nate's told us, uh, tell us that uh, we're all unrighteous. Some of us are unrighteous and some of us are self-righteous, but the bottom line is uh, both those categories are, un- are uh, unrighteous in the sight of God. And, um, and you know, let me just say this. Self-righteousness, Paul lumps right in there with unrighteousness. And... Uh, as Christians, we need to be on guard for that. I just, I just, and we'll talk about that a little more as we go, but just be on guard about that. Uh, through the rest of chapters 1 through 6, we're saved by grace, and he mentions in uh, mm, chapter 3, now the righteousness, chapter 3, verse 21, but now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. There's a righteousness that we obtain not by doing good works. It's the righteousness of faith. The righteousness of faith. And that should be encouraging to all of us because we are not saved by our own works. We know that, and yet we need to be reminded of that because deep down we are troubled and we're disturbed by our own frailties when we're honest with ourselves. But the righteousness that God sees, us, sees in us is the righteousness of Christ through faith. And then uh, chapter 7, uh, 7 and 8, we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. Remember chapter 7, Paul says, you know, I know, I recognize I'm saved. I recognize it's the righteousness. I recognize that it's not by the law. The righteousness is from Christ. And yet I keep trying to do what I want to do, and I don't want to do what I don't want to do, and I, I do want to do what I do want to do. And it's like Peter Piker picked a pick of pe- peppers, Right? I don't want to do this, I do want to do this, I don't do what I want to do, all of that. And the most common word in that little section is I. And uh, the most common word in chapter 8 is spirit, right? The word spirit, let me just, because I get the privilege of going off on this. The word spirit, uh, the Greek word is pneuma, and... um, I've, I counted, I forget, all but three times in chapter 8 
uh, the word is capitalized, and our, our translators have capitalized it. So it's a reference to the Holy Spirit. There are more references to the Holy Spirit in Romans chapter 8 than in the entire book of Acts. Now, when we think about the Holy Spirit, I'm going to tangent for a second. When we think about the Holy Spirit, we often think about maybe the gifts of the Spirit, maybe the amazing thing, maybe, you know, what God can do miraculously in our lives and all of that. But the whole point of Romans 8 is that it follows Romans 7. And Romans 8 tells us that it's only by the power of the Holy Spirit that we can live this life. And you've heard me say before, you show me somebody that will go the distance for 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years, faithfully following the Lord, that's every bit as miraculous as, you know, Lazarus rising from the dead. Because I know, I've logged 60 years, and I know how frail I am. I know that I can't do that without the power of the Holy Spirit. And uh, so, Romans 8, it's just a home run. I've got to tell you a funny story. We've got time for a funny story, don't we? Nate throws them out all the time. So, we're, you've heard Nate say Damian Kyle is the greatest Bible teacher on the planet, right? A little dramatic, but I won't disagree with him. Um, but anyway, we're at a pastor's conference a couple years ago, and there's all these, like, you know, there's pastors, but there's, there's, there's basically everybody there. And everybody there is, one of the things I love about it is people that are there have chosen to be there, and they're pretty eager to study the Word, right? And, you know, we're in Calvary Chapel Circle, so they all kind of know who Damian Kyle is, and, you know, he's, he's the rock star uh, in Calvary Chapel Circles. And he gets up there, and he's got this presence. He's got this deep, you know, bass voice anyway, and he's about 12 feet tall, and, and still looks like a basketball player. I don't know how old he is, but... Um, he gets up there, and you know, everybody in the audience is like this, right? Like, what's he going to talk about? And he says, would you please turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8? And Nate and I always laugh about this. The whole room is like, ah. So we won't, that's all the parking we'll do on Romans 8 tonight. But anyway, so then chapter 9, 10, and 11, what's he tell us? He hasn't forgotten Israel. He has not taken the Israel and said, eh, you're losers, you're done, you're out of here, I'm replacing you with the church, okay? Number one, that's just messed up theology, okay? I will tell you that theology is alive and well on planet Earth, and people that believe that just don't read Romans 9, 10, and 11, straight up. It's, it's, it's about as straightforward as scriptures regarding that as, as there is. And so, anyway, number one, that's bad theology. Number two, and probably more significant for us, if God threw away, just discarded the Jewish people and all the promises made to them because they weren't faithful, how does that make you feel? Right? If God could do that to them, he could do that to who? Us. Right? We got more security than that. We have a God who never fails. And we can bank on that. And so God loves the Jewish people, and he's got great plans yet to be completed through the Jewish people. And he's not replaced the Jewish people with the church. And so that takes us to chapter 12. And chapter 12, I think of as a turning point um, 
he starts out, he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And I like this, I beseech you, therefore. And it's almost like Paul's taken us to the point in, in this book, through the first 11 chapters, to set us up to let us know that we're saved by grace, chapters 1 through 6. We're sustained by the Holy Spirit, chapters 7 and 8. And that God keeps his promises, chapters 9 through 11. Therefore, how should we live? Therefore, how should we live? We should live according to chapter 12 and onward. And so, how should we live? We should live as a living sacrifice. You know, a living sacrifice means I recognize I'm saved. I recognize all that God has done for me. And therefore, I give my life to him. I don't own my life anymore. I don't own my life anymore. I don't own my destiny. I don't own my hopes, my dreams, my expectations anymore. Or my body. That sounds like something you ought to hear in church. But I think it's really uh, something that we need to continually bathe our heads in and our hearts in. And that is that we are to be living sacrifices. We present our bodies, our entire being, as a sacrifice. Like, God, here's my life. What do you want to do with it? Now, we don't just, like, sit there. We still have decisions to make, life to live, you know. Burdens to carry, fun to have. All of that. But we do it all as... Um, we do it all as a surrendered life to God. And that is in response to all that he's done for us, chapters 1 through 11. And I love this, which is your reasonable service. Truthfully, if we understand chapters 1 through 11, Paul wouldn't even have to write this verse to us. So if I understand the depth and the magnitude of God's grace demonstrated through chapters 1 through 11, then I'm going to say, well, yeah, I'm going to serve that, that God, Period. I'm going to surrender to that God, period. I'm not going to try to be saved according to the law. I'm not going to try to be saved according to my good works. I'm not going to try to do anything on my own, Romans 7. I'm just going to be surrendered to him and let him drive the ship. And there's a beautiful, beautiful thing that happens when he drives the ship. Now, individually, we still have bumps when we drive the ship, or when he drives the ship, because we, you know, we still have a flesh and all that. Collectively, there are still bumps when he drives the ship. Even if he drives the ship in all of us, there are still bumps along the way, and that's what we've got to work through. He says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So don't be, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Can I tell you this? It is possible to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. As a doctor, I can tell you, people don't get this. People think my mind is what it is, and I just can't control it. My flesh is what it is, and I just can't control it. You can be transformed by the renewing of your mind. When a thought comes in your head that's a negative thought, or the wrong thought, or the wrong idea, you can shoot up a quick prayer and ask God to help you 
overcome that. That's not rocket science. It's not psychiatry. <laughs> right? It's, Lord, please take that thought out of my head. Lord, please, Lord, that's a lie from the enemy that just tried to enter in here. Would you please help me deal with that? Right? And along the way, right, we have to choose not to conform to this world. We, you know, that's between us and God, and that's different in different situations for everybody. But we've got to make those choices. And, those, and that, as we do that, we can prove, we can demonstrate what God's will for us, that perfect, that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. He says, For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. So, here's what happens. Uh, you know, the first two verses are between me and God. Now we move into me and other sinners saved by grace. That's all of us, right? So, as the body of Christ dwells together, do you ever notice this? It'd be good for us all to not think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. You know, when I don't think more highly than I ought to think about myself, I'm easier to get along with. My opinions aren't the final authority. Does that, does that make sense? And uh, that's, just a, that's just a reality of human beings living in, in harmony. And I think that if I see myself as a sinner saved by grace, and I'll be careful about this because iron's supposed to sharpen iron and all of that. We're supposed to edify one another. We're supposed to encourage one another and sometimes exhort one another. Okay? But if I have, if I am not thinking more highly of myself than I ought, then I'm less likely to presume that I'm your Holy Spirit. Too often, Christians presume that they are the Holy Spirit for someone else. And you've heard me talk before about spheres. I love the idea of spheres, okay? I harp on the idea of spheres. Sphere, a, a proper understanding of spheres brings harmony. In families, and churches, and societies, and all, all that, okay? And that is this. I have a sphere of influence, right? And I'm responsible for it. I need to own that. And I need to walk in that. You might have a sphere of influence. I'm not supposed to walk in your sphere of influence. And sometimes I can, pres if I have a higher than I ought to uh, opinion of myself, or opinion of my opinions, then I'm tempted to kind of presume that I'm the Holy Spirit for you and that I need to fix you, right? Now, you may be broken, just like I may be broken. Matter of fact, we're all broken, okay? But guess what? Who's the best fixer out there? The Holy Spirit, right? Is he big enough to fix our brethren? that we think need to be fixed? Yeah. Yeah, he's pretty good at it. He does it way more surgically precise than we do, right? He operates with a, sur with a surgeon's knife. We operate with hammers too often, right? 
For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Is this a recurrent theme now? Right? I love this. The Lord brings us through these seasons, and it just all, it seems like it always keeps coming up. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith or ministry. Let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So we're all like cells in the human body. We're all each individuals in the body of Christ. And we all do what we do in the body of Christ. And we all need to diligently and faithfully do what we do in the body of Christ. But we are not supposed to do what the other person does in the body of Christ, necessarily. Does that make sense? It's important that we get this. If I'm an eye, I would do a poor job of being an ear. And I need to stick to my eye business, right? Nate also has this thing where he has these super small um, notes that he thinks that makes you think that you can't, he's not using notes, but he uses small notes. And I just tried to pull off the same trick and <laughs> climbed off the stage to get my notes that I lost. So just do what you do and do it well. If you're called to uh, give, you know, giving is a spiritual gift that the Holy Spirit gives to some people. He gives them the means and the desire to give. That's an awesome gift, right? If you do that, let it all hang out. If you teach, teach with diligence. If you exhort, exhort as led by the Lord. If you lead, lead with diligence. If you show mercy, do it cheerfully. There's so much richness in that. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, be kindly affectionate to one another in brotherly love and honor, giving preference to one another. Do you see this idea? This idea is if God has done all this in my life, Romans 1 through 11, I therefore live as a living sacrifice to him and I live in harmony with my fellow brethren because I don't have an overly inflated view of myself. I'm doing what I'm doing, minding my own business. I'm abhorring what is evil. I'm clinging to what is good, and I'm being kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor, giving preference to one another. If I'm doing all that, I'm, I'm doing all right. Not lagging in diligent, fer- diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitalities. I'm do- hospitality. I'm doing all these things diligently and faithfully, and I'm particularly focused on surrendering to the Lord and blessing others. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. So, the reality is, some people are going to persecute us. Maybe sometimes even people in the church. I mean, that happens, right? I think, you know, he may mean reference to, to people outside the church, but really, whoever, right? If people bless you, or if people persecute you, just don't fight back. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. 
Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. So uh, he's kind of repeating this. And really, this is the definition of, of compassion. We need to be people that are compassionate. People that are gracious to one another. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Now, you're not heaping coals of fire to, you know, the context there. You're not heaping coals of fire to burn him. You're heaping coals of fire to warm him, okay? And so... All this, I think, the reality is, as Christians, we interface with people that we disagree with. Fair enough? Even within the church. Okay? This is, I love, there's a guy that uh, uh, Tracy and I have listened to, he and his wife at times, they've got uh, a lot of extended family and a lot of this, and and he always, this guy's pretty old by now, but he tells all the extended family, we don't have to agree with one another, but we respect one another. And I think that's a good kind of position for the church. We're not all, and especially like as we grow and different people come and new people come, we're not going to agree with everybody, but we respect one another. We treat each other with dignity. If it is possible, I want you to notice this, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. What does that tell me? That tells me, number one, we should try to live peaceably. But it tells me sometimes that's not necessarily possible. If it is possible, it says if. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. That means you do your part. There are some people in this world, honestly, nobody in this room, you can relax. There are some people in this world that I just lay low with. Does that make sense? Because it seems very difficult, if not impossible, to have a civil conversation with that person. So if I wind up having a conversation with that person, I'm going to go out of my way to be as civil and as kind, as gracious as possible. You know, usually when you interact with these kind of people, you know what their hot buttons are, right? You know what, you know what can set them off. You just stay away from those hot buttons. Again, that's not brain surgery either, right? Or rocket science. We bless, the, bless others. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I want to pause there for a second. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We in the body of Christ, in this world today, need to memorize this verse. Because too often we are overcome by evil. And here's how I read that, okay? I mean, you could... I don't think it necessarily means don't fall into evil. I think it means don't be overcome by evil. Don't be so burdened by evil, but fight back evil by doing good. For example, do Christians sometimes read the news a little too much? And then they'll say things like, can you believe they fill in the blank? Can you believe they do that or they think that? 
Can you believe how bad things are today? And sometimes, is the world... Is the world going exactly the course that the Bible said it would go in the last days? Yes. And we act like we're surprised by that. Right? Because too often we're overcome with the evil that's in this world. We should be rising above it. We should be people that smile. We should be people that know how to say, yeah, I know. And I'm praying for them. I'm praying for them. I've got a good attitude about it as best I can. I'm come to Lord Jesus, come. But along the way, I don't want to get sucked into that pool of negativity by an evil world. And I'm not so much concerned about the body of Christ getting sucked into I mean, possibly. I'm not as concerned with the body of Christ or with this body or with me getting sucked into falling into the evil of the world as much as getting sucked into the negativity of the world and its evil. Does that make sense? We can sit self-righteously, remember chapter 2, we can sit self-righteously and judge all the evil in the world, but remember the unrighteous and the self-righteous are pretty much in the same camp. And so don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Then he moves on to chapter 13, which really kind of reinforces this, but more on a, you know, I think of chapter 12 as kind of a, you know, how do we get along with each other, maybe in the church or in our community. Chapter 13 is a little more to uh, governing authorities, and keep in mind, Nero was the king at the time, okay? Is he a good king or a bad king? Evil. Specifically evil in hostility to the Christians, Right? Blame the Christians for the burning of Rome, right? Just corrupt, rotten to the core. The things he did to, the things he did to torture Christians are unspeakable. So in that context, Paul says this. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there is one, no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. So Paul was subject to Nero and said, you know, he's been placed there by God. If Paul says that Nero can be placed there by God, does God place our political leaders in positions of authority. And we don't always agree or understand that. But can we respect that? And you've heard me say before, can we... It's kind of funny, Tracy busted me on this. Um, I forget who... I said. Some, I think I said do you, a couple weeks ago, do we pray for Mr. Biden as much as we complain about him? If you don't like Mr. Biden. Didn't mean to assume here everybody in the room didn't like Mr. Biden. But if you don't like Mr. Biden or his policies or whatever... I think I said a couple weeks ago, do you pray for him as much as, as you complain about him, right? And uh, anyway, there's somebody at my workplace that <laughs> Tracy had occasion to ask me if I pray, about, pray for her as much as I complain about her. Uh, I said, I'll work on that. So we're all, in a, we're all on a journey. Uh, now let me say this. Here's the... 
here's oftentimes there are sort of dynamics in the scripture. Does that make sense? We have sovereignty, responsibility. We have, uh, you know, the word and the spirit. We have uh, things that kind of work together, not in an antagonistic way, but often in a way that works together, sometimes in ways we don't understand. Fair enough? Okay. In light of that, turn over to Acts chapter 4. And I'll tell you these two aspects of this dynamic, not to give you the conclusion or what you should, uh, how you should uh, size up any situation, but just so you know the biblical context of how we should look at these things. Acts chapter 4, uh, starting in verse 18, the context here is Peter and John went to the uh, temple, uh, healed a lame man. Uh, they got arrested for it, and uh, they get kind of interrogated by the authorities, and picking up in verse 18, chapter 4, so they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them and answered and said to them, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. And so the Jewish authorities, the Sanhedrin, they told Paul, uh, Peter, uh, Peter and John, I'm sorry, they told Peter and John, don't speak in the name of Jesus. And their answer was, if you think we should obey God rather than men, that's your, you judge that. But we're going to obey God. So here you have these two situations. Honestly, we went through a very tangible exercise in this uh, socially. COVID. We had COVID lockdowns. We had some churches that leaned towards Acts chapter 4. We had some churches that leaned towards Romans 13, right? Are we to judge those churches, their leadership, their pastors, their, their structure? No, right? And so there's the dynamic. Uh, I think really how it comes down to is that uh, Peter and John were willing to accept the consequences, okay? They respectfully said, we're going to obey God rather than men and live with the consequences. That's a reasonable kind of way to draw that line. But at the end of the day, uh, Romans 13 is the other side of that. And uh, every soul should be subject to the governing authorities. There's no authority except from God. And the authorities that, are exi that exist are appointed by God. And whether we like that or not, that's the scripture. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. So if you resist the ordinance of God, you might bring judgment accordingly, right? You might get thrown into jail. You might um, have some consequence otherwise. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you'll have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for, the, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. So this is really more of a general principle. Um, clearly, it doesn't, you know, in every situation, there were some situations where people 
<coughs> have done have done good, have done the right thing, and and still uh, didn't exactly receive the praise from from the authorities. Verse five, he goes on. He says, "Therefore, you must be subject not only to, because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For they are God's ministers, attending continually to this very thing." Render therefore to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. So, we should be good citizens. And here I like what he says, for conscience sake. For conscience sake. You know, at the end of the day, I want to be able to sleep at night. Part of the way I do that is to recognize that I'm a responsible citizen. I pay my taxes. I don't cheat on my taxes. I, you know, if I drive over the speed limit, I'm willing to pay the ticket, right? And uh, we should be responsible citizens. Recall we, t- we mentioned, uh, as far as eldership, uh, the bishops in First Timothy chapter 3, verse 7, they're to have a good testimony among those who are outside. We talked about that week before last, right? As good citizens, we're supposed to have a good testimony with those who are outside. And that includes our government officials. Verse 8, Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there's any other command, commandment, are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. Owe no one anything except to love one another. I like the idea here, and that is, like if you think of a debt that you're going to pay off for the rest of your life, you know, you never get that sort of final, whatever, payoff stub. And that is the debt of love to one another. You never pay that one off. Think about that. You never pay that one off. And do this, knowing the time, that now it is the high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. So beware of complacency. Right? You've heard me say before, complacency is one of our biggest dangers. One of our biggest dangers. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. So we stay away from darkness, right? Psalm 1, blessed is he who uh, his delight is in the Lord. He he doesn't, um, how is it, he doesn't, uh, stand in the seat of the sinners. I'll spend less time looking it up than I will butchering it. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of the sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. He doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly 
or stand in the path of the sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scornful. See the progression? If I stand, if I kind of walk past sin, I kind of saw it, right? If I pause and I stand there, I'm a little more vulnerable, right? If I pull up a chair and park there, I'm pretty well cooked, right? But instead, his delight is in the law of the Lord. So, you know, the idea here, put off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Walk properly as in the day, not in all this other stuff, revelry, drunkenness, lewdness, strife, envy. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. One of the things Damien Kyle always says, I love this. He says, sin happens when the desire to sin and the opportunity to sin come together. The desire to sin and the opportunity to sin come together. And most sin, not to get real specific, but most sin is easier to prevent than it is to dig your way out of. Right? That's what it means. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. Don't give the flesh an opportunity. Whatever that is. And it could be like, you know, one of these things, uh, revelry, drunkenness, lewdness, lust, strife, envy. But it could be a bad attitude. It could be a, one of those self-righteous things, right? And we need to guard against those things and recognize them. Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let, him, let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. Interestingly, this comes up in 1 Timothy chapter 4. We'll talk about it on Sunday. But, um, you know, how do, we, how do we deal with, as a result of Romans 1 through 11, after we've uh, offered ourselves as living sacrifices, after we've kind of... Uh, interacted with the body of Christ, after we've interacted with government authorities maybe we don't even agree with, how do we interact with others that don't share our convictions? So, one guy thinks it's okay to eat all things, another guy eats only vegetables because he thinks meat is evil, right? Is that something to fight over? Okay, hear me on this, church. Most fights don't need to be fought. Most fights don't need to be fought. It's a wise person that knows how to not fight. I've had this thought in my head recently. This keeps coming up. The older I get as a doctor, the more, um, many of you know this, the older I get as a doctor, the, the less interventional I find myself being. Does that make sense? Like, um, I think of it like this. A skillful surgeon is a guy that can look at a situation, look at you, look at your scans, and says, I can fix that. A wise surgeon knows how to answer the question, I can fix that, but should I fix that? Does that make sense? A skillful surgeon can go in, I, I talked a guy out of doing a shoulder surgery on me. I'll just tell you on tape. Right? So I think your shoulder, you know, you got a rotator cuff tear and you got this and you got that. And, you know, we could go in and, you know, when they start, when they go in, they use words like clean up, 
right? So you can, you know, clean up this and turn and do a little of this and, you know, tidy up this and straighten out that. And when you're all done, you'll be about 80%. How about I try therapy? Yeah, that's fine. You know what I am after therapy? About 80%. Right? I think it's a wise, sur it's a skillful surgeon that knows, that can do the job. It's a wise surgeon that knows whether or not he should do the job. It's a skillful Christian that knows all the convictions and all the right answers. It's a wise Christian that knows what to do with that information. Does that make sense? You hear me on that? In that context, receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. If your brother wants to eat meat and you don't think that's a good idea, don't fight over meat. Please don't fight over meat. Verse 4, who are you to judge another's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he'll be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. Okay, this is a great principle. Who are you to judge another man's servant? So, as we wind down, we are all servants of who? Jesus Christ, right? So, I can't judge another man's servant. Here's, an, here's a, to me, it's a simple thing how I think of it. If I'm in a room with my children, we'll say my young children. If I'm in a room with my young children, and you're in, a room, you're, you're in the room with me, with your young children, okay? Two of us are here. Let's say there's two dads. Two dads are here. Say me and Earl. Me and Earl are sitting here side by side. His kids are running around. My kids are running around. Is it weird if I start rebuking his kids while he's right here? Is that weird? Please tell me that's weird. That's, that's crazy weird. It's off the charts weird. Right? And believe me, we have occasion to say, do I need to deal with your kid or my kid or whose kid did it? Whose kid started it? Because they all say the other one started it. Right? And so you work that out. Right? But who are you to judge another one's servant? Right? Those are Earl and Anna's kids. They're my grandkids, but they're their kids. That's important. That's important. To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he'll be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. So... He who observes the day observes it to the Lord, and he who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks, and he, does not, he who does not eat the Lord, to the Lord, he does not eat and gives God thanks. So don't major over the minors. For none of us lives to himself, and none one, no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whatever we, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and rose and lived again that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us shall give account of himself to God. Again, can I encourage us as the body of Christ 
give one another, and I need this as much as anybody, give one another grace to grow and be molded and shaped by the Holy Spirit, even if they don't share your convictions, even if whatever. Especially over things like food and days, right? Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a curse to fall in our brother's way. So there are times when uh, we got to be careful, you know, if, if, if I think it's okay to eat meat and there's a weak brother here that thinks that's a problem, that it's a sin to eat meat, then I probably won't eat meat in front of that brother, right? I don't have to do that. He said, I know, I'm convinced by the Lord Jesus there's nothing unclean of itself, but him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it's unclean. Yet, if your brother is grieved because of your food, you're no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things, in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. So if my food stumbles somebody, don't do, I won't do it in front of him. However, keep in mind also, in the con- I think we have to say in the context of the rest of this chapter, my legalistic attitude about food can cause somebody to stumble. So I've got to be careful about that too, right? Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace, and the things by which one may edify another. You know, we know how to pursue peace. And again, I've said we know, we know each other's hot buttons, right? I, keep, I go back in my mind, I've, I've mentioned this several times, but this, you know, some of these meetings I've had with these other pastors in town, right? We can sit around a table and everybody around that table knows what everybody else's hot buttons are, right? And do you think this group of pastors sits around and says, you know, I think the gift of tongues died off with the apostles. Anybody said that? No. You know, I think Calvinism is a waste of time. Anybody say that? No. You know what they say? They say stuff like, man, we just want to see people come to the Lord. You know, we laugh. We, we laugh, you know, and, and kind of joke that, you know, we'd probably be uncomfortable in each other's churches. Right? Is that true? Yeah. Do we have to go there? No. Are we all in the same boat? Right? Just different cell types in the body of Christ? Yeah. Yeah. Please let us pursue the things which make for peace, and the things which one may edify another. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with offense. If it is good to eat, if it is good neither to eat nor drink wine, nor do anything by which your brother stumbles, or is offended, or is made weak. Do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because he does not eat from faith. For whatever is not from faith is sin. So what's the bottom line? Settle your convictions with God and walk in them between you and God. Right? If somebody's 
flagrantly doing something that's going to bring danger? Is it okay to warn them? Yeah, it's okay to warn them. But are we their Holy Spirit? Not the Holy Spirit. There's a big difference. It's a big difference. Catch the heart of it. And therefore, let us pursue peace. Pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. We have a great opportunity to live as the body of Christ. It's a beautiful thing. He put it together. He made it all possible. It's our job to walk in it. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for your goodness. Thanks that you loved us. Thanks that you continue to love us. Thanks that you are so gracious with us through all of our frailties. And Lord, help us to Help us to, first of all, offer ourselves as living sacrifices to you. Help us to not be conformed to this world. Help us to be transformed from the inside out by the renewing of our mind. And help us accordingly live with one another in harmony. Interact with one another in harmony. Encourage, edify love, have compassion in ways that bring glory and honor to you. Thank you, Lord. Have your way with us, please, in Jesus' name. Amen.